Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and I trust you've been following us in this powerful series on the Roadmap to Reformation. We've begun talking about the 12 gates of Nehemiah. We have probably filmed something like, I don't know, 15 or 16 programs, maybe more than that, leading up to teaching on the 12 gates of Nehemiah. I believe it's been an incredible study for us because it's literally pointing us to a roadmap to Reformation. What I'm showing is that the children of Israel were carried away captive by the Babylonians because they didn't keep Sabbath. And I've showed you in prior segments that the Sabbath in the New Covenant is more than just a day of the week. It is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is pointing us to a greater fulfillment of a Sabbath. And I showed you a lot of things about even when Jesus preaches His first public message, He says, go get me the book of Isaiah, and He declares the acceptable year of the Lord, which was the year of Jubilee, which was a multiple of Sabbaths. Colossians 2 said, let no man judge you in respect or meat or drink or new moon or Sabbath. These things are only a shadow of the reality, however, is found in Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Sabbath because He's rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But what we've also done is show you that the, 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 the contrast is that they were leaving Babylon and restoring the, the new, the, they were restoring Jerusalem. In the book of Revelation, we've showed you the contrast between that and the book of Revelation, a greater fulfillment of this historic fulfillment. These were pictures, types and shatters, hyperbole of a greater fulfillment that we see in the New Covenant. Revelation, probably around chapter 17 through 22, it's a tale of two cities, Babylon, the harlot, apostate Israel. I showed you that in prior segments. You can go back and watch them on YouTube. The judgment came to the great harlot in A.D. 70, and as soon as it did, he said, Hallelujah, now has come salvation, and the bride has made herself ready. Old Jerusalem faded, and New Jerusalem came on the scene. An old temple was destroyed, and a new temple came on the scene. One was natural, the other was spiritual. It's a tale of two cities. I shared with you how also Galatians 4 in the Amplified Bible tells you these two women are two covenants. Old Covenant Jerusalem is Hagar, Mount Sinai. That's Old Covenant where the law was given. New Jerusalem, which is above us, is our mother, is the Messianic Kingdom of Christ. It's the New Covenant community of faith that we are now a part of by access through our new birth. But the very first gate that, and I I really don't want to take much time to review that because I want to get into some, uh, I think, some pretty heavy things here today talk to you a little bit about this gate, the valley gate. We're only going to get one, one, one gate done in this segment or this series, and then we're going to come and do the next one. But I'm going to take my time because I think these are important. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 13 says, And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, before, even before the dragon well, into the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. So Nehemiah, who's a picture of the Holy Spirit because his name means comforter, goes out in the night season and sees the condition of the city in the night season. 
And he comes and he comes to the gate of the valley and to the dung port. I'll, I'll deal with the dung gate and probably in, in uh, several programs coming up. But he viewed the walls of the city which were broken down and the gates thereof that were consumed with fire. And I begin to talk about God wanting to restore the gates. And each gate is an access into the city of peace. If Jerusalem means Salem, Melchizedek is king, first of all, of righteousness, and he's also king of Salem, king of peace. That's, that's righteousness, peace, and then joy comes when you get the other two right. And I showed you in the very last program that the prophet uh, declared concerning uh, uh, the prophecy said he would make every valley low and make a highway in the desert, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And I connected that to Matthew 3 last week because that was the message of John the Baptist and Isaiah was prophesying of a greater fulfillment than just what would happen historically here under Zerubbabel and, and, and some of these men like Joshua, uh, you know, which was the high priest and, jo and uh, Haggai, Zechariah that were all contemporaries during this period of time of Ezra and Nehemiah's restoration. But he starts pointing to a greater fulfillment of the kingdom of God because the voice of one crying in the wilderness was fulfilled by John the Baptist when he said, repent, the kingdom's at hand. And we told you how the names of these guys who built these cities had meaning, and one of them meant stinking, or uh, 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 meant literally stinking thinking, and it meant to shift from stinking and rejected thinking to gracious and merciful thinking. So our, what we need to do is shift from old covenant being rejected stinking thinking, condemnation, guilt, and turn towards gracious and merciful. God wants to restore us. He wants to redeem us. And a lot of these things that happened in the Old Covenant found their fulfillment. I mean, these cities were literally restored under these men as they're rebuilding, but there was a greater fulfillment coming. There was a new Jerusalem coming on the scene, and you could access it through the gates of pearl, which I told you already speak of salvation. Jesus bought the pearl of great price through His suffering to give us access into this city of peace. So you can leave your weeping and your wailing and your unrest and your turmoil, and you can come into the city of peace where you find rest for your soul. I don't want to spend too much time in review, though. You can go back and watch them on our YouTube channel. I want to talk about this valley gate because He comes to the gate of the valley. This valley gate, one of the main valleys, I talked about the valley of the shadow of death in the last one, but I want to talk about the Valley of Hinnom. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, I want to talk about the Valley of Hinnom in this segment because the Valley of Hinnom was where this gate led to. So you're either headed into the Valley of Hinnom or you're headed out of the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom is where we get our Greek word for hell. A lot of stuff that could be said here and probably some of it I won't say on television. But I, I, I do want to get you thinking about this, that a lot of times when you see the word hell translated, there are several different Greek words for hell. There is Hades, Sheol, Gehenna, Tartaru. All of these words mean something different, and King James did not do us a good uh, translation by translating all of these words the same. Gehenna words were true. The word Gehenna is talking about a real world place outside of Jerusalem, and there's a lot of stuff and speculation about what it could mean. But we're just going to try to stay with, I think, uh, what I think is pretty solid here. It led to the valley of Hinnom, 
But Jeremiah, in chapter 32 of Jeremiah, he calls it the Valley of Slaughter because of the sacrifices that were made there to Molech, which took place there. But the Valley of Hinnom is a narrow ravine, a deep narrow ravine with steep rocky sides on the southerly side of Jerusalem, separating Mount Zion on the south from the Hill of Evil Council. Now I think that's pretty powerful, because this valley separated the hill of Mount Zion. Mount Zion again in the New Covenant speaks of the New Covenant. Well, you say, why? Hebrews, the 12th chapter, says, For you did not come to blackness and darkness, you didn't come to Mount Sinai, but you are come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. So Sinai, Old Covenant, Mount Zion, New Covenant. And so the hill of evil counsel, in other words, there's a division in the mountains here. You're either receiving evil counsel and the flood that's coming out of the dragon's mouth, you're either going to the dragon well, Revelation 12 said there was a flood, that came out of the dragon's mouth to try to destroy the woman and the man-child. That's the new covenant people of God. But I believe there's a valley that separates that, and separates it on both sides, where we could turn not to the valley of evil, or the hill of evil counsel, but we turn to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. And so, uh, it was separated, uh, uh, and, and, and the sloping rocky plateau of the plain of Rephaim on the north taking its name, according to uh, some scholars, from some ancient hero, the son of Hinnom. Now let me just skip down. It says, the valley obtained wide notoriety as the scene of barbarous rites of Molech and Chemosh, first introduced by Solomon, who built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, Olivet, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. The inhuman rites were continued by the idolatrous kings of Judah. A monster idol of brass was erected in the opening of the valley, facing the steep side of Olivet, and there the infatuated inhabitants of Jerusalem burnt their sons and their daughters in the fire, casting them, it is said, into the red-hot arms of the idol. No spot could have been selected near the holy city so well fitted for the perpetuation of these horrid cruelties. The deep retired glen shut in by rugged cliffs and the bleak mountainsides rising over all. The worship of Molech was abolished by Josiah, and the place dedicated to him was defiled by, strewing, uh, by being strewn with human bones. He defiled Tophet, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. And he break in pieces the images, and cut down their groves, and filled their places with the bones of men. The place became thus ceremonially unclean, no Jew could enter. From this time it appears to have become the common cesspool of the city into which its sewage was conducted to be carried off by the waters of the Kidron, as well as a lay stall where all of the filth, the solid filth was collected in the sewage, and it was afterwards a public cemetery called Akeldama. Now we need to remember that because Akeldama is used in the New Testament, and I'm going to pick it up if I don't get to it in this one in the next segment. It was called Akeldama. You'll remember Judas is associated with this, and we'll get to that. Uh, and, and the traveler who stands at the bottom of this valley and looks up into the multitude of the tombs and the cliffs above around him, the thickly dotting, thickly dotting the side of Olivet will be able to see all of these tombs, will be able to see what the wondrous accuracy, the curse that Jeremiah prophesied has been fulfilled when he said, this is Jeremiah prophesying, 
He said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall be no more called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnomon, but the valley of slaughter. That's real important. For they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place. We learn from Josephus. Now this is something that I think is very important. Pay close attention. We learn from Josephus that the last terrible struggle that happened between the Jews and the Romans in A.D. 70, or from A.D. about 66 to A.D. 70, took place here in the Valley of Hinnom. You can look in Josephus, the War of the Jews, uh, I believe it is book 6, 8, and 5, and here too it appears that the dead bodies were thrown out of the city after the siege, and the inhuman rites anciently practiced in the Valley of Hinnom caused the latter Jews to regard it with feelings of horror and, des- and, and detestation. The rabbins suppose it to be the gate of hell, and the Jews applied the name given to the valley in some other passages in the Septuagint. Now I want to just tell you that, that what this says to me, first of all, is this is pointing to, once again, a greater fulfillment. When Jesus prophesied, uh, and he began to speak uh, even in Matthew 5, you know, right after John the Baptist announces Right here's the king and his kingdom. Right after John the Baptist is pointing you away from the old covenant saying, repent, the kingdom is at hand, and the one that's coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. His fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor. He really is talking there. First of all, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. But the fire that's going to come is going to be the fire that would destroy this city in A.D. 70. Now I want you to see even, you know, even the parable. I am excited to announce the release of my newest book titled The Great I Am. In this book we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. Every time he uses that phrase it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought that the bread that fell in the wilderness was the true bread, but Jesus says to them, Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead, but I am the true bread. They thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. As you read the pages of this book, you will truly discover the faith that replaces fear, and that believing you will have life through His name you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. You will rediscover that He is the Great I Am. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today. I believe it is of the rich man and Lazarus is a picture where he's talking about a rich man. He talks about, it said there was a certain rich man that fared sumptuously. And then there were there was a beggar that sat at the gate, and he begged for the crumbs that would fall from the master's table. And you know this story very familiar. This is a parable. This rich man to me speaks of natural Israel because Jesus is using a parable to talk to them. He's using several parables right there, but the rich man is those who fared sumptuous. It's a picture of natural Israel, who is a seed of Abraham, because when the rich man is in hell, he sees Father Abraham and calls him Father Abraham, and Abraham acknowledges him as a son, a born one. A natural seed of Abraham. 
They had the covenants of promise and they fared sumptuously. Lazarus is a picture of the Gentiles because even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. If you remember the story where Jesus would say it's not lawful to give what's holy to dogs, he was talking about Gentiles because up until that point the covenant of promise had not been given to the Gentiles. The Gentiles had not yet been brought into the new covenant. And so they are being first offered to the rich man or to the Jews. But the rich man dies and goes to hell, but the beggar dies by the name of Lazarus and goes into the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man is in hell. I believe it's the same Greek word here as Gehenna. He's in hell and he lifts up his eyes and he sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, and he says, go send somebody, send somebody to give me a touch. Let me taste just the waters because I am tormented in this flame. And he said, and, and he says to them, there's a great gulf fixed. I will say this to you, the word gulf there is a medical term in the Greek. In the Companion Bible, in Bullinger's notes, it tells you it, it literally is a medical term, which means a gaping wound. There's only one way across this chasm and into the city of God, so to speak, and that's through the precious blood of Jesus and the wound and the gap that's on His side. That's the only way in to the covenants of promise. You're either headed in the city or you're headed out of the city. You're either headed to weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth or you're headed into the peace and joy and righteousness of the kingdom. But this rich man is in hell and he lifts up his eyes and he says, send somebody from the dead to warn my brothers not to come to this awful place. And Jesus says to him, even though one rose from the dead, still they will not believe. It doesn't dawn on us that when Jesus raises somebody from the dead, his name is actually Lazarus. Jesus gives this parable and says, a rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus is also the Gentile name of the servant of Abraham who was going to be his heir instead of Isaac. So he's showing them that the kingdom's going to be taken from you and given to other people. Now let me just say this, the new covenant kingdom of God, the new covenant New Jerusalem is made up of both Jew and Gentile. So he's not excluding the Jew He's telling them that if you want a part of this kingdom, Nicodemus, you must be born again, that your natural genealogy is not enough. There's a new birth because even the Romans 10 and 11 passages dealing with uh, Israel being brought back in, are, the, the emphasis is not on the branches, the emphasis is on the vine. In my newest book, The Great I Am, that you'll see an ad for, there's a whole chapter here called I'm the True Vine, because they thought Israel was the vine, but Israel wasn't the vine. Jesus said, I am the true vine. So it's being connected to that vine. So I'm not excluding anyone to the covenants of promise. I'm just trying to tell you, you've got to enter through the gate of pearl, which is the gate of salvation through the suffering of Jesus that brings you into the kingdom of God. But see, here we find in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus that the rich man was in hell and lifted up his eyes and he sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. So it's talking about the exclusion of the Jews that rejected Jesus and the inclusion of the Gentiles who are about to become heir with him of the covenants of promise. And so when Jesus goes to the house of Martha and Mary and he raises Lazarus from the dead, 
It is amazing to me that he said the hour is coming and now is when they that are in the grave will hear the voice of the Son of Man and all that they hear it will live. But he that lives and believeth in me will never die. Do you believe this? And so Jesus raises a man by the name of Lazarus from the dead. And I promise you that when those people who left seeing that scene of Jesus raising the dead, knowing that this got to be the king that the scriptures talked about, that this has to be the one that John pointed to, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, the one who's making a path and a, and a highway in the desert and making every valley low and every high place low, who's separating us from Mount Zion to the valley of, e- from the valley of the hill of evil, a council, that He is literally giving us opportunity to enter into the covenants of promise, but they are rejecting Him. And these religious leaders hear that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I, I can just promise you the moment somebody went and told these religious rulers that hated Jesus, because if what He's teaching is true, these guys are out of business. No more Levi priest, but a Melchizedek priest. No more regular temple, a new temple. No more old Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem. No more old covenant, a new covenant. I promise you that's why they're fighting, because they're protecting their turf and their jobs and their, their traditions. But I promise you the moment that he raised somebody from the dead, and they ran and told these religious rulers, Gee, I, I, I would just imagine these religious rulers said, please tell us his name is not Lazarus, because it's the fulfillment of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, because even though Jesus r- rose somebody from the dead, they did exactly what Jesus said in this parable. They did not believe. Jesus himself rose from the dead they still did not believe. And as a result, they are left in the Valley of Hinnom, which became known as the Valley of Hinnom, and it is the backdrop or the, when Jesus is talking to these Jewish people, He's reminding them of the siege and what took place in Babylon when the Chaldeans and the Babylonians came and destroyed their city and burned it in the valley of Hinnom, where they cast their children before Molech and offered them on the false gods in the shrines of Molech and in Tophet. And Josiah came and, and, and literally desecrated it so it became unclean to the Jews and became known as the valley of Hinnom or the valley of the shadow of death, or literally it became also known as the potter's field. And so what I want you to see is that this valley said something to first century Jews that the fulfillment of this, uh, of the fulfillment of these prophecies and the fulfillment of these parables is right in front of them. What I'm trying to show you is this consistently fits this roadmap to Reformation because in the removing of Old Covenant Jerusalem, is the establishing of New Covenant Jerusalem. The, 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 Josephus in the right where he quotes in the, the War of the Jews, they, they cast the bodies over the wall by the millions until the fire was not quenched and the, worm, the maggots were not dying and the fire was not quenched. That is a direct quote from Isaiah and Jeremiah where he's talking about what would happen in A.D. 70 when they would throw the carcasses and the bodies of these people into the fires that were burning outside this city. It would become the valley of slaughter and a place that should have struck fear in the hearts 
of these people. And when he uses that terminology to describe it, even in the book of Revelation, when he talks about that, that city being destroyed and burnt with fire, he was talking about the fulfillment of what took place in A.D. 70. And he's trying to get them to move away from the Valley of Talpet. He's trying to get them to move away from the Valley of Hinnom and into the city of the living God and move away from all of that stuff that was happening on that side of the city. I, I'm telling you that it was the place where they would cast bones and cast stuff into the red hot uh, fires that were burning where the fire was not being quenched, where the worm was not dying. And if you go through and you, you can do a study, I'm not going to do it on television, but you can do a study on hell and you'll find out there are several different Greek words. I believe in Revelation chapter 21, or not 21, chapter 20, I believe the lake of fire and hell are two different things. As a matter of fact, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20. I believe the lake of fire is something totally different than hell, at least in some places, because some places it speaks of the grave, some places it speaks of the realm of the dead, other places it's talking about Gehenna, a real world place outside of the city of Jerusalem where the bodies were stacked to these people who refused to move from an old covenant to a new covenant. They refused the covenants of promise and like the rich man and Lazarus they would weep and wail and they would lift up their eyes and be thirsty for something that could give them a chance to be able to come into the covenants of promise while the Lazarus was included. We know that what happened was the door was shut and the, the, the time was, uh, had passed for them in coming in uh, to this covenant. Now God was going to offer to the Gentiles and make out of twain one new man, so making peace. And uh, that's what's pictured even, I believe, in the resurrection of Lazarus is that he's bringing us into uh, the resurrection life through the power of the King of glory who's the only one who can quicken you and make you alive for once you were dead in trespasses and sin, He's quickened together to get you to enter in through the gate of the city. Now make no mistake about it if you think I'm talking uh, lightly about hell, make no mistake about it. I do believe that there's a definite benefit to dying in faith and you don't want to go there. Whatever it is, your concept of it can be totally different. What I'm trying to tell you to do is enter in through the gate of the valley gate and come to the waters of life and come to the city of God where there's peace and righteousness and joy and there is a, a flow of God that flows from a slain lamb that brings you into a new covenant. So the very first thing that must be brought is that we must be brought into this new covenant city of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what, I, I, that's what Nehemiah is really picturing as he's leading us into this valley gate to bring us into the city of God. It is stopping the flood that's coming out of the dragon's mouth and moving away from the valley and into the place where weeping is no more, where you leave the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, and it becomes a well, and you draw from the wells of salvation. Well, we're out of time again for this segment. Uh, join us again next week. We're going to do one more, I think, on the valley gate, and then we're going to move on to the dung gate. I hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to help us with television, we really do need your help. And please, a lot of people just watching don't do anything, but we do need your help. If you'd like to give, you can go to our website and give via credit card or debit card at our PayPal section of our website. You can also set up a monthly debit there if you'd like to become 
become a monthly partner. We really would appreciate that if you do it. You can also give via credit card. Uh, you can also call the number that's on the screen, and you can give by sending a check to the address on the screen. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.